You know what I, I like? You're, you know people that, even when they're not, they look like they're smiling? <laughs> Have you known somebody like that? You can't really tell, are they or aren't they? I've got a few in here. And so if I get nervous, I just look at them. Because they just, you know, they could be sleeping and they look like they're smiling. <laughs> That's encouraging. Jessica, are you going to come help me out this morning? Sure. Good. We have a couple things we want to celebrate this morning. And uh, I don't know if we need to hand it off. Just kidding. Genesis chapter 39. Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard of an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight, that is in Potiphar's sight, and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had put, that he had, he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake and the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. In verse 4 it says, Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. I just want to give you a quick rendering of this word served in the Hebrew, sharat, which means it refers to the tasks which are given to the closest servants of God and kings and those who are in authority. This word comes up over and over today for me in the scriptures that we'll be using. And it's a very important word because in our uh, culture, if you call someone a minister or a servant, uh, there can be a a mindset that they're lower than. You know, they're, they're like, that's the person that washes your feet or something. Which we know Jesus exalted. Right? So we live in this um, reversal, if you will, where the world has a certain view of things, and yet God's view can be exactly the opposite. Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, become the servant of all. He washed his disciples' feet in John chapter 13. And then said, you know, I, I being Lord and Master have shown you what to do. And if so, if you want to be happy, do the things I've shown you. And serve one another. We know that John the Apostle, toward the end of his life, they, history says that they carried him from place to place because he could no longer walk. He was elderly. And it was difficult for him to get around and they would carry him. And that, you know, a lot of you know I've said this before, but when, and you, when you read his epistles, you hear these words. They would ask him questions about problems in the church or in the body of Christ. And they'd say, well, John, what should we do? And he would say, love one another. And that, well, okay, that's good. But what about this problem? I mean, there's this issue and sometimes, what should we do about that? He'd say, love one another. And it was this constant response of commanding and encouraging the church to love one another, serve one another, esteem others greater than yourself, become the servant of all. Man. Does that sound like a place to live? Uh, Wouldn't it be something? If we were constantly yielding to one another and serving one another, looking out for the other person's good, and uh, looking for opportunity to bless the other person. That would be a great environment, wouldn't it? I mean, I could just be king of the day all the time. I'm talking about the other side of it. Come on. Turn with me to... Exodus chapter 18, we're making progress through the Bible. Won't be long, we'll be in Revelation. In Exodus 18, you may just want to note these down. I'm not going to read all these passages. That would be unfair to read so much scripture. But in Exodus 18 is where Jethro comes to visit Moses. And Moses has got all of Israel lining up to answer their problems all day long. And at the end of the day, there's not enough time. And so the line goes home and everybody's discouraged because they're not getting solutions to their problems from the, the man of God. 
Jethro's father-in-law shows up and says, man, what are you doing? You're wearing yourself out. You're wearing all these people out too. So you, this is what I, let me give you some advice, son. And uh, son-in-law, and he says, let me give you some advice. Here's what you need to do. You need to look for able men uh, among the people whom you can lay your hands on and, and give some of this responsibility to them. Let them uh, govern over large bodies of these people. And then the things that they can't handle, they can bring to you. And uh, you need to do this. You need to stand before God and talk to him about all these people and represent them before God. And then let the leaders manage all the issues and the problems. You find this in verse 20. Uh, we can start in 17. So the thing you don't do, that you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out, for this thing is too much for you. You're not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel, and God uh, will be with you. Stand before God for the people, so that you may bring the difficulties to God, and you shall teach them the statutes and laws, and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they should do. Moreover, select from all the people able men such as fear God, and I like these qualifications, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of tens. Um, sort of looks like the first cell groups to me. And then let, let them judge the people at all times, and it will be that every great matter they will bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge, so it will be easier for you and uh, for they will bear the burden with you. Verse 24 says, Moses heeded and did all that he had, uh, heeded his father-in-law and did all that he told him to do. I believe it's during this time when these leaders were being chosen, if you want to turn over and follow chapter 24, that Joshua comes on the scene with Moses. He's not listed as one of the 70 elders or those, but I believe that in this moment of choosing leaders to serve alongside, that it was probably during that time when Moses was selecting all those leaders for the people, the thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, that he took Joshua to be his, his aide, his minister, and also this Sharat, his servant, his attendant. 24 verse 1 says, Now he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and, the, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. So Moses came and told the people all the words that the Lord of the Lord and all the judgments and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said we will do. Come up and worship. Verse 9, Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the seventy and seventy of the elders of Israel. I don't know if you ever noticed this, but it says, And they saw the God of Israel. That whole group. Did you ever notice that? I don't believe they saw all of God. I think the, the verse defines that there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the fire, very heavens in clarity. I think they were allowed to see a part of God, or a representation of God, his feet, if you will. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he, God, did not lay his hand. So they saw God, and they ate and drank. They, they were there fellowshipping. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I have written, that you may teach them. Verse 13. So Moses arose with his assistant, Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and Hur are with you, if any man has a difficulty, let him go to them. Then Moses went up into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. And the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel, who were at the base of the mountain looking up. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud, and went up into the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain forty days and nights. I, I, I hope you're 
can get some visual on this. Man, this whole clan up the mountain, eating, fellowshipping, seeing at least the feet of God and this glory manifested. And Moses says, now y'all wait here. You wait here. If you get any problems, talk to those leaders there. I need to go up further. But they went up. Joshua went in. Then after six days, I mean, this glory cloud is there. God is present. And they're going to stand outside of it seeing this. And on the seventh day, God says, okay, Moses, come on in. And then he goes right into the very presence of God. Gets the tablets, gets the law, the Ten Commandments, you know, the Decalogue. Not the Ten Suggestions. Amen. And he's in, he's in there with God for 40 days and 40 nights. That's quite a while. Skip with me to chapter 31. Because those chapters in between there in 24 and 31 is when he gives them all the instructions and different things happen between Moses and God. In chapter 31, verse 18, it says, When he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. Now, down below the mountain, there's a problem arising. You don't know the story. People are getting tired of waiting for Moses up in the mountain. So they say to Aaron, make us a god. And so he takes all their gold and melts it down and builds this golden calf, and they begin to worship. After the tradition of all their bondage, uh, they've learned idol worship to a degree, and so Aaron tries to foster this. And in verse 7, now get it, Moses and Joshua are still up on the mount. I'm sure the elders have trickled down by now. Aaron and her are down back in the camp because we know he's building the, building the calf, right? So the only guys up on the mountain are Moses and Joshua, and I'm just showing this to you. The Lord said to Moses, verse 7, Go, get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. You know, Moses and God had some dialogue about this. How come he's always calling them my people when they're in trouble? You people that you brought out of Egypt. So wait a second. I'd have had a few things to consider there. But they had turned aside quickly in verse 8, and uh, they were worshiping this golden calf. In verse 15, it says, And Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides, on the one side and on the other they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. And I'm just stopping there. All I've done here is just demonstrate by the scriptures that Moses and Joshua are able to talk to each other up on the mountain. 40 days after Moses has been in with God, Joshua still camped out up there. He is Moses' assistant. He is Moses' servant. He is Moses' sharat. Okay? I just want you to get the picture that that's how this system is working. Everybody else is down in the camp doing what they shouldn't be doing. Joshua's hearing it. And then Moses comes out of the presence of God with these tablets and Joshua, the reporter now, the assistant says, we got problems. <laughs> There's either a war going on or something's happening down there. And Moses, of course, has been directly informed by God, says, no, we've we got a bigger problem than that. And he comes down with his Sharat out of the mountain. I like 3311 of Exodus It says, So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp. Now this is talking about he has a little tent outside the camp. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. <laughs> here's, a smart, here's a smart young guy. He's hanging around Moses all the time. He's been on the mountain. He's seen the tablets. He's been through the breaking of the tablets, rebuilding the tablets. Leading the people. He's got, he knows all the elders on a first name basis, but he is the right hand man to Moses. And when Moses would go out, people would, 
stand up in their tents, in their doors, as Moses would go out to his tent of meeting where he met with God. They would, As he would go out, they'd all stand up in their tents and watch as Moses would go out, and God in his glory would manifest at the tent of meeting. And Moses would talk to God, and then they'd, you know, they'd all relax while he was out talking to God. Then he would come back and return to the camp. But look what Joshua's doing. Say, Moses, you go ahead. I'll, uh, I'm just going to hang out here. I mean, I like this glory cloud. I like this presence of God. I'm getting used to being in God's house. I'm getting used to being in God's place. I like being with God. Like you like being with God. Acts chapter 16. See, so, you now if we go this quickly, we'll be to Revelations in no time. Y'all have Acts 16? Okay. You got one of them little ribbon things for your Bible? Stick it in there. Let me take you back one more moment to Numbers. I don't want to pass this this up this morning. Numbers chapter 27. Keep that place in Acts. We'll come back. Numbers chapter 27. Verse 18, well, we could back up to 15. Then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Lord, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. <clears throat> and the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hands on him. Set him before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation, and inaugurate him. In their sight. And you shall give some of your authority to him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. In using Moses and Joshua as part of our illustration this morning, we're seeing that the servant, the Sharat, and you got to know I'm talking about Rob today, right? This is not a blind shot in the dark. That they, they dwelled together, they worked together, they lived in the presence of God together, and when it was time, God said, now lay your hands on him, give your authority to him, so that the children of Israel will follow him just like they have followed you. And this was his commissioning moment, and this is what occurs. Now flip to Acts chapter 16. And we're not going to get in depth on these things, I'm going to get in depth on the last one. And that probably won't even be too deep in itself. It'll be enough though. Because I know you're thinking about all that food you made this morning. (laughs) And so am I. Paul and Timothy. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Paul is traveling with Silas, Barnabas. And uh, Paul had Silas as his partner, In verse 40 of chapter 15, Paul chose Silas. They departed and they were going out to the churches. But when he gets to Derby, Lystra, he finds this Timothy. Timothy's a man with a good report. Everybody knows this guy. And Paul says, I want to take that guy with me. Now, Timothy later on becomes the recipient of the letters, 1 and 2 Timothy. We know that. He also becomes the pastor of the church at Ephesus, which is one of the largest churches in the New Testament. Some estimates run twenty-five to 30,000 people in the church in Ephesus. That's big. It was easier then because there's only one church in every city. (laughs) 
Somehow we've gotten that part fouled up. But he wants to take Timothy with him. And, and uh, for Rob, we can say, you know, we're not going to do that part in the first few verses. The first three scared me. Yeah, the first three. <laughs> Where are we going? <laughs> so, but in uh, further in Acts chapter 16 is where they get thrown in jail for their faith. Who gets thrown in jail? Paul and Silas, but not Timothy. Fortunate for Timothy that he doesn't end up in jail. But he becomes Paul's sharat, if we use the Hebrew word, his assistant, his right hand. And a while ago I said, you know, we can have this wrong connotation of the word servant or minister uh, in our culture as one being lower than, but... When you look at the Hebrew word sharat, it means that this is, this is the, the one who is called to have the task of being closest to God and closest to the king and closest to, in, like Joseph and Potiphar, right hand in charge of everything. It's not a, a lowering, it's an ordering and it's an anointing and it's a calling and it is a place of ministry and servanthood, but it's, it's a place of real authority that comes from God to the Sharat. In fact, this word Sharat is the word that's used for all the Levites who were to minister in the presence of the Lord. They said, and whenever you read a scripture that says, and the Levites there ministered to the Lord, it's going to be this word Sharat, this base word. There they were closest to God in worship and service to Him, doing all that He wanted them to do. Now, First Kings, roll backwards. Oh, we're losing ground in passing through the scriptures. Just kidding. I may try and draw a map for you, but in my mind, there's a map. I can see it of the life of Elijah. We know the high points of his life. Um, at one point, where he's called from his hometown of Tishbe which has got a question mark after it on the maps you know, in your Bible. So we're not really certain where it is, but we kind of have a general idea near the Jordan River and uh, up about the same uh, latitude as somewhere around Nazareth. He's called from there to go to Damascus and speak to Ahab. And he says, listen, it's not going to rain. There's not going to be any dew. There's not going to be any rain until I say so, because the Lord says so. And then God says to him, to go somewhere. Elijah gets to go camping. Over by the brook. Some say Kareth. Cherith. I'll take Kareth. It's a little brook on the eastern side. Oh sorry the map's backwards. Turn it around. Your side. On the eastern side of the Jordan River. Below Galilee and above the Red Sea. Somewhere about here. It's a little brook that goes into the Jordan. And he says. Elijah's over here in Damascus telling Ahab how the cows eat the cabbage and there's not going to be any rain. And God says, you better take off because you're already in trouble. Go camp out by the brook. And he stays by the brook and is fed by ravens. Every morning and every evening he gets fed. He gets just to go camping by the brook until the brook dries up. Now that would take some time, wouldn't you think? And uh, when the brook dries up, what happens? He says, now you need to go to Zarephath. There's a widow there I've commanded to take care of you. Does anybody know where Zarephath is? It's not in our... I see the map. Here's the map. Okay. Like this. Here's Damascus and Kareth and Galilee, Nazareth. You with me? Up here. Some of you might have heard of the town of Beirut, Lebanon. Very close. That's a long... That's a ways up. God takes him up there, introduces him to the widow. Now he gets to live in this town for a while. And the widow takes care of him, and her oil doesn't dry up, and her, her meal doesn't waste away, and they have something to eat every day. And a bunch of miracles take place here, like he raises the widow's son from the dead, and you know some minimal things happen up here. And then finally, you know, the brooks are dried up. This thing's been going on for years, camping for a while, living in Zarephath for a while, and then God says, okay, now you need to go back and meet up with Ahab and get things rolling again. So he's going to come all the way from here down into Damascus again, likely. And he tells 
Ahab, you get your prophets together. Meet me at Mount Carmel. Now from Galilee, Kareth, Zarephath, Beirut, back down to Damascus. And the Mount Carmel is up by Haifa in Israel. It's just outside of town. It's a nice little mountain. They meet there, and the showdown at Mount Carmel ensues. And that's where, you know, Elijah builds an altar. He challenges all the prophets of Baal. 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of the of the what they call the high places. So it's 850 false prophets against one Elijah. He says, let's both take a bull. We'll put them on these altars. We'll get them all ready on the wood and the stone, And but nobody lights a fire. Whoever's God answers by fire is God. You know, it's interesting. He calls all of Israel to show up for this showdown too. And when he says that, he says, how long do you halt between two opinions? If God's God, serve him. If Baal's God, then serve him. Nobody says anything. I like this. In the, I like the way this plays out in the scripture because nobody says anything. He says to the other prophets, you guys go first. They spend all day yelling, screaming, dancing, cutting themselves, getting bloody, trying to entice Baal to come and light their thing on fire. Comes time for the evening sacrifice. And Elijah says, you guys have had all day. My turn. He digs a circle around his altar, tells him to go get water. Three times they bring water and pour about six gallons of water each time, maybe a little more, a little less. Six gallons, go do it again. He brings, you know, about nearly 20 gallons of water, pours all over his altar and the sacrifice, the wood, and it drips down into the ditch. And then he steps up and he says, God, show them who you are. That's a paraphrase. There's only about 16 to 20 words in his prayer. He says, God, just demonstrate that you're God and that you're the only one that really is. Fire comes down, takes out the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the water, and the dust off of the ground. All of Israel falls on their face, the ones that are there. And they start saying, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. Yes, the Lord is God. That means a bunch of... Bunch of pansies. You know, they wouldn't commit beforehand. They're kind of like me going to a sporting event. You know, I, I come in, I wait till halfway through the event, and I go, who's losing? That's who I'm going to root for. <laughs> anyway. The Lord is God. The Lord is God. And Elijah says, don't let those prophets get away. Those false prophets. This says only the prophets of, of Baal, 450 they apprehend them and take them to this brook and kill them all. Now, you might think the brook was just right there. But I looked on the maps. That brook was nowhere close. So they had to corral those 450 guys and take them off for a ways. While Elijah was doing what? He was on his face praying for rain. Prayed seven times. Sent his servant. Go look. See if there's any. Now, they're in Haifa. If you look at the map, that's pretty close to the coast. Carmel is kind of overlooked the ocean there, or the, the sea, I mean the Mediterranean Sea. Mediterranean sea. And uh, he says, go look and see, nothing, 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 nothing. Seven times comes back, there's a little cloud coming up, it's about the size of a man's hand. He says, man, go tell Ahab to get his chariot moving, because the rain is coming. And the clouds form, and things start happening. And Elijah, he says, this will be, I brought this so I could use it, this is my, this will be his mantle. He's wearing a mantle. Right? In a mantle, you might remember Jesus said, if you have a guy work for you all day, and uh, you take his coat in guarantee of him working for you, don't keep it overnight. Right? Pay him his wages at the end of the day, and don't keep his garment overnight. Why? Because this thing doubles as a blanket. It's the outer garment. It's a mantle. It's a cloak. It's got different names in Scripture, but it's a covering could be like a large rug if you can see it that way. Anyway, Elijah's got this thing, and he's got his mantle on, and he's praying. He's got his face between his knees. He goes, tell Ahab to get moving, because it's going to rain. And then he girds this thing up so it's not flopping around. You ever try to run a race in your bathrobe? <laughs> I mean, that would be tough, wouldn't it? So anyway, he gets it all gathered up, and, uh, and he takes off running, and it says he outruns Ahab all the way to the Valley of Jezreel. Now, I looked that up too, and these things are fascinating to me. It's not close by. 
It's as far away as the brook where they kill the prophets. So while the prophets are trailing off down to their doom, the false prophets, Elijah's out running the chariot out of the mountains, down into the plains, and into the valley of Jezreel. I didn't estimate it, but I'd say it's probably at least 10 to 20 miles away. And he outruns the chariot all the way there. And Ahab finally gets home to Jezreel. And what does he do? He goes to Jezebel, his wife, the evil one. And he goes, wah, wah, wah. Wah, wah, wah. Why are you saying so wah? He says, well, Elijah just killed all your prophets. And this wicked witch of the West says, I'll have his head by nightfall. And what does Elijah do? He's I'm out of here. He grabs a servant and he runs to Beersheba, which you might remember from last week with Abraham, is in the south of Judah. That's a long run. This guy covered some territory in his ministry. And I'm seeing this map. I go, he's born here, goes to Damascus, back to the brook Kareth, up to, Ash, up to uh, Zarephath, back down here to Haifa and Mount Carmel, and runs to Jezreel. And, ah, she's going to kill me. And runs all the way down into the south to Beersheba, which is one of the places where, remember, Abraham built an altar to worship God and to be preoccupied with God. <clears throat> and it says that when he got there, he told his servant, he had a servant. How'd you like to be Elijah's servant through all those periods? <laughs> Running all the time. He said, he imagined him on the way to Jezreel. Hey, can I get a little of that anointing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know <laughs> outrunning this chariot's a little tough. You got an anointing. I don't have an anointing. <laughs> help, help. So anyway, <laughs> he parks his servant in Beersheba and goes a day's journey into the wilderness and complains to God. God says, you know, what are you doing here? He says, I'm the only prophet left in all of Israel. I mean, you know, she's after me. This woman's after she's going to kill me. And I'm the only one left. And then God meets him. You know, so we get these songs like Hide Me in the Cleft of the Rock. You know, because he says, go out and stand in the in front of the mountain because God's going to pass by. And there's an earthquake and all these marvelous things are happening in nature. You know, and God's not in it. And then there's a still small voice. And Elijah hear the still, hears the still small voice and he wraps himself up in his mantle and he goes out and stands in front of the cave. And God talks to him and says, what, what are you doing here? He says, I already told you. I'm bummed out. I'm tired. I killed a bunch of prophets and now they're going to kill me. And I'm the only prophet left in Israel. God, have you been on vacation? Have you not seen all these things? And God tells him to do something here in 1 Kings 19. We'll start at 14. And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Now he's got a long journey home, by the way. Oh, I, I, I shouldn't eliminate this piece. My goodness. When he parks his servant in Beersheba and goes a day's journey in the wilderness... God says, I want to meet with you at Mount Horeb. That is Mount Sinai. For, you know, he feeds him a couple of times while he's weak and tired. And he goes 40 days in the strength of the meal, it says, to Sinai. Now he's at the bottom of the Sinai Peninsula, back where it all started with Moses' Ten Commandments. He says, okay, go all the way back up now to Damascus. Return the way that you came. When you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. 
and this is this is huge in history. This is, there's history everywhere in this, of course, in these biblical narratives, and I love this stuff. I tend to get lost in it sometimes. But this is where we're getting to today. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12th. You know, there's 12 yoke. He doesn't have all 12 of them lined up in front of him, right? There's 12 different yokes, 12 different people plowing. He's with the last one. There's a man of means, actually. Anybody's got 12 yoke of oxen and 11 other guys plowing with you, you've got, got something on the ball. Good family. In fact, it's said about Elisha that he probably grew up in a family that was very, very dedicated to God and that refused all of the local worship of idols that was going on and actually he probably had been schooled in the school of the prophets. This guy wasn't half-baked. He wasn't a brand-new follower of God. Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. I didn't know how I was going to pull that off without hitting everybody, but Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and mother, and then I'll follow you. And he said to him, This sounds kind of negative in our terms. Let's go back again for what what have I done to you, but it's a very positive statement. Go ahead. It's right for you to do that. I'm not putting anything on you that would take you away from the responsibility that you have with your family. As yet, you should honor your mother and father. You should be uh, obedient to all those things. And it would be right for you to go and do that. Go ahead. So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his sharat. His servant. Today is about me putting my mantle on Ra. And I just wanted to take us through those scriptures about Moses and Joshua, Paul, Timothy. You know, Joshua took Moses' place. Timothy became a pastor in his own regard. Joseph became second in charge of Egypt. The, the endings are a little different, but with Moses and Joshua and Elijah and Elisha, the end result is the same. The person doing the calling or the commissioning, putting the mantle over, is saying, come follow me. And this is what Rob and Shannon, this is Rob, of course, and this is Shannon, and this is Matthew. Dude, like the haircut. Very nice. (laughs) He can get a haircut and not look like he's had a haircut. (laughs) This guy's got a lot of hair. And uh, we're welcoming, welcoming welcoming them that's hard to do today and we're grateful that God sent you to us and I feel a responsibility to go through this little process you don't have to wear that home I thought about <laughs> I thought about all the things I own and do I have anything that would fit you and I had one coat and I didn't want to give it away <laughs> but I knew where that was and I went and got it out this morning just to symbolize the moment that This is that moment where the mantle is put on saying, let's go together. Let's begin the process. Now, the rest of the story unfolds because Elijah and Elisha walk together for a while. They're in ministry together as a team. The Sharat is the servant, the minister, the one that's come alongside that is closest to. And you'll know that if you've read the rest of the story, you know, Paul Harvey, um, it is that on the day that Elijah is going to be taken up away from Elisha, the school of the prophets come out and say, Hey, do you know your, your master is going to leave you today? He goes, Yeah, I know. Let's not talk about it. And Elijah keeps saying to Elisha, Look, uh, why don't you wait here? i got to go over here. Oh, no. No, I'm, I'm going with you. Okay. So they go together. And they're into Jericho and different places. And then finally from Jericho, um, Elijah says to Elisha, I, God wants me to go over by the Jordan. So you wait here. He says, no, no, I'm going with you. Because the school of the prophets, there's been two different schools by now that have said to him, your, your master's going to be taken away from you today. Are you aware of that? And they say, yeah, yeah, let's not talk about it. And so he's going with them, and they get to the, the Jordan. And Elijah's talking to Elijah. He says, by the way, what do you want from me anyway? He says, I want a double portion of your spirit. 
I want a double portion of what you are and who you are and the anointing you have. The double portion was reserved generally in Israel in the clans for the firstborn. You know, father giving to the firstborn a double portion on his passing. And so basically he's asking not only for that, but of the anointing and the, and the presence of God. And if you follow it out, you'll find that Elisha ends up in Scripture performing exactly twice as many miracles as Elijah. So there it is. So he says, I want twice what you've got. He says, okay, here's the deal. If you see me when I go, you'll have it. If not, no deal. So Elijah says, all day say, no, I'm going with you. No, I'm, going with you. No, I'm not going to wait here. I'm going with you. I'm going to stick next to you. They get to the river and Elijah takes off this mantle. Now think of this. Don't miss the point. When he put the mantle over him at his parents' house, when he's plowing the oxen, he got the mantle back. Elisha didn't keep it. Give me my mantle back. <laughs> I want it before the sun goes down. I have something to sleep on. Yeah. So Elijah got this back. You know, he didn't give it away. And that, this, I think, is an important part of seeing what's happening. You know, I still have my blanket for sleeping under. But he didn't give it to him to keep. He gave it to him as a calling. He said, I'm calling you out to be under this with me. And then he got it back. So he gets to the Jordan River and he takes off his cloak and he, he folds it. I won't take time to do that. And he strikes the water and, and the water parts. <laughs> this guy travels in class. <laughs> they walk across on dry ground. They get to the other side. And here comes a chariot of fire, horses of fire. And it comes down and it goes right between them. You can read it yourself. It says it separated them. Elisha's here and Elijah's there. Elijah's going, this is it. This is my day. Elisha's going, keep your eyes open. (laughs) You don't want to miss this moment. And a whirlwind comes, and we can wrestle over theology on this, I guess, because it says that he was taken up in a whirlwind. Most of us think he rode the chariot. Hey, he went. Okay. (laughs) So... Up he goes, and as he's going, falling from the upward movement is the mantle. And Elijah's gone, the chariot is gone, the horses are gone, the fire is gone, and Elisha's standing by himself, and the mantle's right there. Fell from Elijah. He picks it up. Oh, and you you probably ought to, if you read the story, you'll find that not far off, there's a school of 50 prophets who are watching this whole thing. That's better than going to the movies. So Elisha picks up the mantle, walks over to the river they just crossed, does the same thing Elijah does and says, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he does, the waters part. And Elisha starts his own ministry. Now, as not the Sharat, he ended up getting one himself to go with him. But he is now the leader. He is the prophet. And all of this, this morning, to say, Rob, welcome. Hopefully it's not too much. But it is the way things happen in the Spirit. And I'm glad for it. I'm glad to have my mantle back. I don't want to run naked. There's another story about a mantle in the New Testament. A little guy named Mark on the night Jesus was betrayed. Remember that? They grabbed him and he took off and fled naked. Because they held on to his mantle. It was covered in one of these things. But he got away. Probably wasn't naked, naked like you might think, you know, but he got out from under his mantle to run away. I just want to lay my hands on you. Let's do it. <laughs> let's, let's do this thing. Let's, God put a portion of whatever I am on you. Not that you need to be me. That's not the story. That's not the story of the scriptures. Each one comes into his own. But we're on a journey. This is the beginning of a journey. We've been in it for a while. And, uh, you know, I can, there's all kinds of pieces of this that in my heart are very, very real. And that is when we went and met with Robin Chan about coming down and starting this process with us in transition. You know, he was plowing. He wasn't like sitting around doing nothing. He was a proven man. He is a faithful man. He's a man of integrity. He knows the word. He knows how to handle the word. Uh, he's been missionary. They've been a missionary family for years in Guatemala. 
three years there, four years up in Oakdale, and as an assistant associate pastor there, youth pastor, and worship leader. I mean, they know it. They know the insides of this work and this calling. And now God's called us to walk together uh, for a season. And I don't know when my chariot will show up. But if it's got horses and flames of fire, I'm taking off, man. <laughs> I can handle that ride. Woo! That's better than the GTO I always wanted. <laughs> anyway, so why don't you just come and... Uh, and I'm, I'm going to represent all of us. Is that all right? Because we're receiving today. We receive with open hands and and in the sense of Moses, Moses and Joshua will lay hands on, a commissioning, a beginning, a start. They're moved in, unpacked. I haven't put you in my cell notes this week. I don't know if you realize this, but we were unpacking your U-Haul. You were, he was walking around singing. We bring the sacrifice of praise. Did you know that? Yeah, I was singing with him. I've been singing this song all week. And so I put it in the cell notes right there under the worship department, Lighthouse Keepers. It says, Worship is a constant preoccupation with God that results in costly obedience and offering Him things we value. I overheard Pastor Rob singing a chorus as we were unloading his U-Haul. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. Can we make that happen? Let's make that happen in our lighthouses this week. Anything you want to say? Think about that while I pray. Okay. Father, I stand as a representative of this entire congregation and, Lord, what's happened in the past and what is still yet to occur in the future. Lord, this is a pivotal moment, and we yield it to you. I believe we're doing what you asked us to do, Father. So in laying hands on Robin, casting the mantle over him, we thank you for calling this family out to serve you in this community. Thank you, Lord, for the call of God on his life. Thank you for the preparations that have been made. Thank you for the solidity that you have put in this man of God. Lord, as he has been faithful to go back and, in a sense, cut up his oxen and offer them as a sacrifice on the previous implements of his work and to lay those things aside and to be done with them to come and take up this call, honor him today with your anointing. Lord, Whatever you've put in me, I pass to him in the name of Jesus. There's nothing I can do, but you must. The anointing, Lord, let it be upon him. Let it be upon us. Let it fall upon this congregation. Let us live under the blanket of your glory. We request it humbly that you will unfold the future of this congregation in this community and its outreach to the world. Lord, don't allow us to limit what you want to do. Let there be twice as much, at least. Lord, not that we want to just lock ourselves into that, but by the illustration of your word, let there be more than has been. Unfold it, loose it in the name of Jesus. We receive it today. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Get us a like. You know, we just, we're so excited to be here. We're just part of what God is doing here in Big Bear. And, um, you know, we have, we just want to come and, and, and serve this body. We want to come and serve this community and be part of the team to reach this community for Jesus Christ. You know, there is a, gr- there is a great work to do. And I've got a really obscure passage. If I can get your Bibles, fine. Isaiah 51. I was just praying and, and reading, and you know we're in strange times right now, aren't we? I mean, you know, sometimes sometimes I think we want to dance around it and not deal with it because we don't know how to deal with with the times that we're in, and uh, and so I just want to read out of Isaiah 51 this morning. Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. That is this house. That is this place. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. Some of you are are living in a time where you feel alone. Maybe you're looking at your bank accounts and you're looking at loan figures. You know, God called Abraham and he was alone. 
He says, I blessed him and increased him. The Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in it. Thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Listen to me, my people, and give ear to me, O my nation, for law will proceed from me, and I will make my justice rest as a light of the peoples. My righteousness is near. My salvation has gone forth, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastline will wait upon me and on my arm they will trust lift up your eyes to the heavens and look on the earth beneath for the heavens will vanish like smoke the earth will grow old like a garment and those who dwell in it will die in like manner but my salvation will be forever and my righteousness will not be abolished listen to me you who know righteousness you people in whose heart is my law do not fear the reproach of men nor be afraid of their insults for the moth will eat them up like a garment and the worm will eat them like wool but my righteousness will be forever and my salvation from generation to generation. Going on just a little bit longer. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the ancient of days, in the generations of old. Are you not the arm that cut Rahab apart and wounded the serpent? Are you not the one who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep that, that made the depths of the sea a road? For the redeemed to cross over, so the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. And I remember that in the King James Version, of course. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion. That's what God wants to do. But there's a call for us in here. It says, those who love my word, those who are following righteousness. We're going to begin to watch as we press into the Lord and grow in Him and say no to the things of the world and say no to ungodliness. We're going to be separated apart in the things things of the world, the things in the past that maybe we've strived after ourselves, looking for, for wealth and things that the world has had to offer, as we begin to press into righteousness and get the law of God into us, we're going to see the judgment of God really begin to come onto the world. And we don't want to be a part of that. We want to be those who follow after God so that the redeemed of the Lord will return with singing instead of with mourning. And that's what I believe is happening. And we're so excited to be coming here to be a part of that, to be a part of what God is doing here and to see the salvation of those in bigger and far, far beyond. And so I get to preach, I'm sure, in a few weeks, I hope. And so I'm going to save the rest for then. <laughs> Hallelujah. I think I'll let him preach pretty soon. Hey, how about the second week of October? Yeah, I'm out of here. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Thanks for walking through this time with us. Uh, we're taking steps to do what God has called us to do. I think that uh, in conclusion, this may seem awkward, but I'd like to get some beaverish kind of instruction for this potluck. Is there something we need to know and do before we open those doors? Uh, do we? It's ready. I mean, we just like. I'm going to go out the door and find a.